1: Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow
2: listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach. As you can see in the background, I am the owner of Transworld Business Advisors, one of 225 of the franchise offices around the world. I am one of uh, seven in Chicagoland. For those of you that may not be familiar with Transworld Business Advisors, we are the largest and the fastest growing business brokerage in the world. We have been around for 40 years and primarily what we do is we assist business owners confidentially sell their businesses and match them up with qualified buyers. We also do franchise sales for those that are looking to purchase a franchise. And as well, we do franchise development for those businesses looking to expand via the franchise model. I am delighted today to have uh, one of the founding fathers, if you will, of business networking, Dr. Ivan Meisner, and he's given me permission to call him Ivan, and I appreciate that. You can call me Steve, by the way but he is, get a load of this, another one of these titles that I'm coming across during this podcast series. He is the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI. And I'm I'm thrilled to have you on this show. And you and I both know how important networking is for business development and how that can attribute to your success. So first of all, Ivan, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. And you know, one of the very first 12 people to open up chapter number one, just so you know, we have now 10,362 chapters in 70 countries. But one of the very first people was uh, a business broker. Uh, was it? Really? it was, uh, I need to go back and look in the, the data to see if it was trans world. It could have been trans world because we've been around 36 years. Uh, well, it was a, it was a business yeah.
2: broker was one of our first 12 people. Well, how interesting to know about that. Well, that's good to know. Where was that first office, by the way?
0: The first chapter of B&I was in Arcadia, California.
2: Okay. And, and that ran- chapter
0: is still around today.
2: That's good to know. That is yeah. good to know. I believe, and I'm here in Naperville, I got to believe there's at least a dozen or so in the local area here. But I do know it's very popular with the local business owners that I interact with quite a bit. And uh, it's a great networking resource. So uh, oh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. You've only done it since 1985. So that's quite a quite an accomplishment there. But again, we'll focus more about that in a minute. So I want to take you down memory lane. Let's rewind the videotape a bit. We're going to take you back to your childhood. Let's say... Uh, you know, a couple, three, four, five years old, maybe a little bit older than that. What were your dreams back then? What was your childhood like? Give me a little uh, example of how you had your, your parents and other family members influence where you are today.
0: Well, I grew up in a very, very low-income uh, kind of family. I mean, we, we moved from Pittsburgh to... Um, I actually lived in South Central LA for a year. And then we moved to Azusa, where I grew up. And I went to Azusa Unified School District. Uh, but my parents were great. I had fantastic parents. Um, we moved to L.A. when I was six years old, and that was a real eye-opener at that age. Uh, the, yeah. the, it was a tough neighborhood. Uh, but uh, again, I had great parents, and um, they were great role models. Uh, I think even at a pretty young age, I was a little entrepreneurial, maybe a little older than that. you know. I was, I was doing the lemonade stand and selling my comic books out, <laughs> out in front uh, when we moved to Azusa. So I I had a little bit of an entrepreneurial, as a matter of fact, you know, we fast forward a few more years to like 13 or 14. I had my first like real business and I haven't talked about this much on. uh, Oh, tell me
2: about it. I can't
0: wait to hear. Well, I was, I think I was 13 and a neighbor would make these reflective numbers for street addresses that you could put up on your house and they were made out of a resin, and he used uh, like a metal flake in it so mm. that when a light hit, it would really light up. And I thought these were really cool, and I said, um, can I can I sell these for you? Would you pay me, you know, can I get a percentage yep. of the business and, and I'll sell me? He's like, yeah, are you kidding? So I started selling these reflective numbers that would go on house by, the, by their door. And I was doing so well, some of my buddies were like, we want to sell those. So I negotiated a a better price with the guy. And I gave most of whatever they sold to them. And I kept like, you know, I don't know, 10%. And so then I had employees. I mean, they weren't really employees. They were all 13, you know, and we were selling a boatload. Steve, we sold a boatload of these. Then I found out about supply chain, Oh. I walked in one day and he was like, kid, you're killing me. I have a full-time job. <laughs> you know, I'm spending too many evenings making up numbers and you're selling them. And that's great, but I can't, I can't keep this up. And so um, I'm stopping. <laughs> and so I lost my supply chain and oh uh, had to go out of business. Uh, that business lasted, I don't know, four months, maybe. <laughs>
2: Well, it sounds like you learned a lot during that short time period, so that's exciting. So were you back then, were you thinking, and and how would you characterize what you do today? Is it a sales? What type of position is it today? Were you thinking sales back when you were younger? We did where you have a mathematic or an engineering background. What was your education like, and how did that transform to where so you are today? I was planning on going to law school. Um, oh,
0: as, yeah, as a matter of fact, I was accepted to law school after college. Uh, I got a, a bachelor's degree in political science, and I was accepted to law school. And for some reason, I don't know really why to this day, I just decided, you know, I, that's been a dream for. Probably seven or eight years, and it's no longer my dream, and I don't want to. I don't want to do that, and um, and so I didn't go to law school. I turned down. I turned down the offer uh, to to go to school, law school, and uh, figured I better do something else. I believe in education, so I went on to graduate school at USC uh, with an emphasis on organizational behavior, mm-hmm. and so I really wanted to move into government or private sector uh, work. And I got my master's and my doctorate with an emphasis in organizational behavior and first worked for the government. That didn't last real long because I didn't like uh, I didn't like the fact that we would set goals. And if we hit them too early, management would say, slow down, slow down, because if we blow these numbers out of the water, then we're going to have to do it again next year. And I'm like, yeah, so what? Let's do it again next year. And they're like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. And I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, government's not for me.
2: Yeah.
0: And so I was pretty young. I did a little stint as a general manager of a manufacturing plant in my mid-20s. And then I was 27 years old and I went full-time as a business consultant. I was kind of a business coach before there were business coaches. And uh, I didn't have my doctoral degree out. I was working on it. And that's what I did in my early 20s. And I, from that, I stumbled into starting BNI.
2: So what type of uh, business consulting and coaching were you doing back then? Was it uh, executive leadership? Was it operations? What, what was it exactly?
0: More uh, operations, hiring, training, evaluating employees, policy, procedure, manuals, strategic plans. You know, I don't think I was qualified to, 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 to teach on leadership at that point. I was still, you know, I was 27 when I yeah. went full-time. I had done it part-time for a couple of years already. So I, uh, I was still a little bit, you know, wet behind the ears. And yeah. I'm pretty brave to start up my own consulting business at 27. There were no coaches then. The term business coach didn't exist back then. But my target market was companies of 10 to 100 employees. Okay. Uh, you know, it was the smaller market that I was after because nobody was going after them. Everybody right. wanted the big companies. Now, I did do some work with the U.S. Navy and I did some work for Wells Fargo. So I did do a, I had a couple of big clients that I did projects with, but most of my clients were under 100 employees. And um, I
2: loved it. I enjoyed it.
0: But I got most of my business to referrals. Yeah.
2: And so back then, back then, there was no social media. There was no, no Internet, no email. So if it wasn't referral, how else were you getting your clients?
0: Well, it was mostly through referrals and through speaking engagements. And most of the speaking engagements I got, I got through referrals. So one way or another, it was mostly referrals. And, you know, I did the rubber chicken circuit for a couple of years, you know, the Rotary, the Lions, the Kiwanis clubs. And I I even remember the title of the talk I did. It was Entrepreneuring in the 80s, How to Manage and Motivate People. Wow. That was my talk. And it was about 20, 25 minutes long. And I, I must have done about 120 service clubs in less than two years. And right. I picked up a, a lot of clients from that, but it wasn't enough. And so I wanted, I had gone to a lot of networking organizations and many of them were mercenary. Hmm. You know, I'd go to these meetings and everyone would try to sell to me and I f- I would walk out feeling like I'd been slimed yeah, and I needed okay. to go home and get a shower. I just, it was too mercenary. Then I went to these other groups that were just totally social. It was happy hour and hors d'oeuvres. Nobody was doing business. I didn't like those because I wanted to do business. So I ended up. I wanted to form a group that was business oriented but not mercenary, mm-hmm. relational but not totally social. All right. And that was the BNI group. And I'd like to tell you I had this vision of you know 10,000 chapters, but I just wanted one group. <laughs> so that I could get referrals and I could help my friends. And the glue that would hold the concept together is our principal core value of givers gain. This idea that if I help you, you'll help me, Uh, we'll all do better as a result of it. And wow, I was just blown away by how many people asked me to open up another group because in B&I we only take one person per profession. And so people just kept saying, hey, would you help me open a group? Would you help me open a group? Because I can't join this group, my profession's represented. So I just kept opening these groups. I didn't have a plan uh, until, until about a year into it where I was like, wait a minute, what just happened? This is amazing. Yeah.
2: Well, that's so good. That's so good to hear. And, and you're right. I mean, business development networking is critically important. And for you to do it since 1985, what do you think were the success elements to get from? And I'll share with the audience here. You shared with me that your first group in California, one of the members was a business broker, right? Yeah, business broker, that's right. Yeah, business so broker,
0: who- one of the very first members in the first dozen or so people. We had like a, a meeting to talk about kicking off. So when we kicked off, we had about two dozen people, but he was in there in that first 12 people. We met, our first meeting was like December of 84. And we actually launched our chapter in January, January 8th, 1985. And the business broker was, was there, yeah. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, they just they don't know how to network because we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. This is not taught. I just submitted a proposal to a major university to teach uh, social capital and business networking. And they said, no, they said, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. they they just don't see. But when you think about it, most professors in business have never run a business, right? Not the full-time tenured professors, maybe the adjuncts, but the full-time tenured professors have never never run a business. That's why they don't teach sales. Uh, heaven forbid that you get your hands dirty and make a sale professors they love social media because you don't have to actually talk to anybody and sell you know sell to anybody so that's my thought on teaching networking
2: so i have the experience of uh, being a member of a few bnis here locally business networking international your structure and for those of you who don't participate in some of these other groups rotary has a structured format for their meetings uh BNI has a structured format for their meetings. I think if you go to any chapter, they're basically the same. You've got an education component. You've got your thirty-second, sixty-second elevator pitch. Uh, how did you come up with the concept of having that? Was that Rotary based, or how did the structure of your BNI meetings come up, or how did it come wasn't
0: up? Rotary based? I mean, I joined Rotary after I started BNI, actually, but I had been to Rotary meetings as a speaker. No, it wasn't really based on that. It was based on what I, I mean, to me, necessity was the mother of invention. I wanted a business group that was also relational. And mm-hmm. I believe in having a system and a process in place that you follow. I also realized early in the process that if you want to be successful, you got to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things, six times. Right. Right. And what happens is most business people are constantly chasing bright shiny objects and they're doing a thousand things six times. BNI is about doing, and it doesn't have to be six, it could be five, it could be seven, it's a handful of things. BNI is about consistency. You do things over, it's timed repetition over a long period of time, building relationships with other people. And that was my strategy from the very beginning. In it, we added things like the education piece of it because when I started BNI, there were no books written on BNI. I wrote the first book on business networking ever published. And so this content just wasn't out there. I had to develop it.
2: Yeah. You know, the other interesting thing too, and I was almost taken aback by this, but when I joined my first BNI, and I'm a public speaker and I've done a lot of it, I've did investor relations in my previous life. So I presented the Wall Street analysts and the like. I've trained C-level executives to do the same but you will not let anyone do an education piece until they go to one of your training sessions on how what's that initial training called it's um, member
0: success program training msp
2: and that was a critical essential component before i was able to do an education piece and yeah. i'm telling you you learned a lot you learned a lot from that what are the basic items you're trying to uh, to train uh, to uh, inform bni members during that initial program
0: Well, there's a lot of things. One of them is, you know, we really want members to understand the culture eats strategy for breakfast. The -hmm. culture is the secret sauce of a successful organization, whether you're talking about a local chapter or a global organization. And so the core values are critical to any kind of organization. And so we we really try to get the chapters to talk a lot about the core values, like giver's gain and lifelong learning and accountability and recognition and uh, relationship building traditions plus innovation. These are some of the core values of the organization. So we'd certainly talk about that in member success program training. We talk about how do you do a good weekly presentation? Because each week, you, depending on the size of the chapter, you have anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute to say who you are and what you do. And how do you do a good one that stands out? Uh, we talk about doing one-to-ones. By the way, Steve, one-to-ones are critical in building referrals. We have hard data on this. We found that uh, we did a, a research project through a university in Europe. It uh, surveyed a region of BNI members in that region who did uh, we compared people who did one one to one a month compared to people who did four one to ones a month the people who did four one to ones a month or one a week you know meeting and talking getting to know each other they gave twice as many referrals as the people who did one one to one a month but here's the beauty is they received twice as many referrals Wow. And so it's really important for us to, to teach people, here's the why. Because people don't care about how until they understand why, especially entrepreneurs. they got to understand why before you have them doing stuff. And so we really try to give the why to as much as possible.
2: Yeah. And I, I totally agree with your concept there because going back to your earlier comment, you need to do six things a thousand times rather than a thousand things six times, right? That's what yeah. you said. Yeah. but. Ah, uh, visibility is key. and you know even I, I was a newspaper writer many, many years ago. I did the local press, if you will, and I was always encouraged by the editors that you've got to remind the people of what the basic tenet of the story is. You can't assume that they know everything, right? So you basically have to repeat something which you consider to have been known and everyone should know it, but that's not the case. And the same is with interacting with uh, one business owner with another. You need to remind them of what you do. And make sure the messaging is clear, concise, consistent, convincing, and the same. You can't be changing your picture over time. So you got to reinforce that. And so, so I think that whole concept is good. What else have you got to add regarding that that concept?
0: Well, one of the foundation of everything that we teach and that I teach, it's in a lot of my books, is a concept called the VCP process: visibility, credibility, profitability. You already mentioned the importance of visibility. You have to first be visible in the community. People have to know who you are and what you do. Then you have to have credibility and credibility is where people know who you are. They know what you do and they know you're good at it. And they may know you're good at it because they've heard from other people. They, you know, other people have referred you. They've talked positively about you. Maybe you're in a leadership role and they can see how you behave. Uh, Maybe you've even done, they've done business with you and they actually know you're good at what you do. Then and only then, when you get through visibility and you get, you've really established credibility, can you get to profitability where people know who you are. They know what you do. They know you're good at it. And they're willing to refer business to you. Uh, this is a referral process, VCP, not a sales process. So you may have a client and you think, well, I'm at profitability with this client. But then you got to ask yourself, are they referring anybody to me? And if they're not referring anybody to you, then um, you're only at credibility with them. You haven't moved them to referral profitability. Where networking really goes wrong is people use networking events as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity hi, Steve, my name's Ivan. You know, Let's do business. Or here's two copies of my business card. This is the one that drives me nuts. Here's two copies of my business card. Maybe you can give one to someone else that you know. And I'm like, I'm sorry, excuse me. What was your name again? Now I don't even know who you are. We They try to jump over visibility, jump over credibility, get right to profitability. In one of my books, we call that premature solicitation, which you don't want to say fast three times. It'll get you in trouble.
2: Right. Yeah. I belong to another networking group. It's for financial executives. And the chairman, Matt Budd of the Financial Executive Networking Group, he calls that throwing up on the customer. Yeah. Basically, you're talking, you're talking, you're talking, and you're not listening. And I think you'll agree with this, that listening is more important when you're doing these networking meetings yeah. than speaking, because you yeah. want to hear who you're dealing with. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. I think a great networker is like an interviewer.
0: You're asking me questions and you're allowing me to elaborate. I think that's what makes a great networker. A great networker has two ears and one mouth and uses them both proportionately. They should be listening more um, than they're talking. It's really, I think, about being interested more than being interesting.
2: Right. And, you know, to your point, I can tell you that having done my business now for six years, and I've done other things before, but there are a couple of lawyers that are always on my referral list. There's a couple of accountants always on my referral list, because these are people that I know, that I like, that I trust. Those are key elements to your point, visibility and credibility. And now I can refer them. And you have to get through through the first three steps before you even begin to refer. And I think that's the essential way it's got to work. I mean, you really have to maintain, you have to establish credibility, maintain it. And that's where the whole referral thing comes. I think you would agree with that for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting.
2: Ah, okay. Cultivating, cultivating relationships. So, Ivan, you've only written 26 books. And what kind of prompts you to come up with a topic for a book? I mean, there's so many different subjects, and you've been interviewed on some of the major, major, uh mediums you've been in the new york times wall street journal cnn bbc the today show clearly your reputation speaks to all of that plus more but as you're coming up with ideas for books what's resonating in your mind what prompts you to say i think i've got to add another book what are some of the things that you like to highlight
0: just a little bit of a combination of ideas that i've come up with and and ideas that others have come up with and they come to me and say, I have an idea for a book. Would you be interested in doing it with me? For example, a book that I just recently published called "Infinite Giving: The Seven Laws of Givers' Game," was um, a couple of BNI directors that came to me with the idea, and I loved it and I joined them. Two books I'm working on now that uh, were my ideas are um, the third paradigm, and it's about the transitions in business over time in the world first going from primarily in management, uh, all about competition to moving uh, over the decades to uh, cooperation to now this concept of co-creation, which is the third paradigm. And um, I'm working on that book, which should be out next year. And then I've got on the drawing board, I haven't really started uh, doing much work on it, a book called Garage to Global. And that was one that I came up with. Um, how, how, How do you take your business, how do you scale your business? Whether it's scaling it locally, or scaling it globally how do you scale your business and so um my co-author on that book i asked to be to him to join me and he's the ceo of b and i know and he has worked with major major companies he's been the ceo of, of other large companies and worked for huge corporations and what we're going to do is i'll be the primary author of the first half uh-huh. how do you take the book from your garage which i you know i ran b and i out of my house and we made packets in the garage. How do you take it from your house to becoming international? And then he, and, and he'll and he add color commentary. And then the last half of the book will be, how do you take that international business and make it truly a global enterprise? No longer a mom and pop business, but a global enterprise. He'll be the primary author and I'll add color commentary. And so that book probably be out in a couple of years, Garage to Global.
2: So let me ask you a question now for for the audience members here listening in today. This is being recorded in the middle of 2021. We are now let's say anywhere between 3 and 6 months of COVID-19 behind us. We're not totally over it, but most of it's behind us. What do you think has changed in terms of networking? What have we gained in the last let's say 12 to 18 months? And you talk about the third paradigm. I always talk about a new paradigm And some of the things are going to change going forward and may not go back to where they were prior to uh, the pandemic. What insights do you have at this point in terms of BNI, business networking, doing business that you have observed that changed radically during the pandemic of the last 12 to 18 months?
0: Well, the one thing in networking is the transition to online. But honestly, it was inevitable. As a matter of fact, I wrote an article for Entrepreneur.com in 2018 that said the future of face-to-face is online. I wrote that in 2018 okay. because I saw technology, mixed reality, holographic imaging—you know those kinds of technologies—becoming more and more prevalent in the next decade. And I said this in 2018. I didn't see COVID coming. Right. Luckily, my CEO did, and uh, he was looking around a corner. We started flipping countries. Uh, to online in January of 2020 in Asia and then in Europe and in February and the rest of the world by March. So we know that online can work. And I think what is likely to happen is that we're going to see a hybrid system of networking online and networking in person. And I this isn't BNI policy. We haven't made a final decision, but I think it's inevitable that we're going to see chapters who will meet Maybe, maybe three times a month online and once a month in person. Um, because in person, nothing, nothing beats shaking somebody's hand or oh, giving them okay. a hug and, and you know, three-dimensional eyes looking at them.
2: So one of the challenges we have here locally, and it doesn't really relate to business development, although it kind of does, but I belong to a number of networking groups for executives in transition, and they have abandoned the in-person meeting for the better part of 12 Uh, to 18 months. But what's interesting about these local networking groups for executives in transition is that they're getting more and more people from outside of the local area. So now their challenge is to try to take what has grown beyond, let's say, within a tri-city area to an in-state, local state. How do you mix the hybrid together? Because we think that in-person and hybrid, or I should say in-person and virtual, are going to coexist Probably predominantly going forward. Do you have any comment about the mixed? Uh, uh, I, I think, yeah, I think if they're mixed,
0: there's going to have to be an element of um, them being reasonably close. And that's certainly the plan in BNI is that uh, you'll still have a, a geographic territory that the chapter operates within. And if you're doing a hybrid or a blend of in-person and online, you'll have to have some coming to the meeting, and so they can't be in different states or different countries. I think right. that's inevitable as well, for now at least.
2: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're coming to the tail end of our uh, time allotment here, and uh, we've had a lot of back-and-forth discussion, Ivan. Is there anything anything we haven't covered in the questions I've asked you that you really want our audience to take away?
0: Yeah, man, one or two things. Well, first is that I believe that your network, your network is a beacon of hope in a sea of fear. We live in crazy times and I have seen it firsthand. I mean, B and I during COVID grew, we grew. We have 36 years of consecutive growth. Very few companies in the world can say that. And I think the reason we grew was that people understood they needed their network today more than ever. And your network is a beacon of hope in a sea of fear. And when you are there to help people both Through business and through referrals and through emotional support, then you have a team of people around you who care about you and will help you be successful. And so, you know, now is the worst time to abandon your network. Now is the time to reinvest yourself into your personal networks and continue to build those relationships.
2: Yeah, I have to give you an editorial comment. I have a little blurb on your bio. And it says year has over 10,100 chapters. You got to update this because it's now 10,300 chapters. It is. Yeah. Even growing, even growing in a short amount of time since I got this document from you. So I, yeah, that was I, the beginning of the year. So in the last six months, we've opened, uh, you know, another couple hundred chapters. And that is so great. And I, I am so honored to have the opportunity to inter- interview the father of BNI, the sort of the founding father. It's been a great, uh, 20 30 minutes. I appreciate you sharing your insight. There's nothing more important than the power of networking. Some have even characterized that networking is your network. Yeah. And I think you agree with that as well.
0: I would agree with that as well, Steve. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. Before we go, how are we going to find you? Where do we, you want us to go to BNI? You want us to go to LinkedIn? How do we find Dr. I'm on
0: BNI, uh, BNI.com. I also have a blog all free stuff. I mean, there's links for some of my books, but I've been blogging twice a week since 2007. So there's tons of content there. IvanMeisner.com, And of course, you can connect with me on all the social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of it. I'm on all of it.
2: Oh, that's so good. And it's critically important too. Thanks so much, Ivan. Thank Thank you you for sharing your insights. And uh, wow, Uh, what is it? 35, 40 years, almost 40 years. 36 years, yeah. Thirty-six years of BNI. I never thought it was that old, but I'm telling you, you've been around and you're an important part to all our business owners. And that's part of building a better business is to be able to use your network and to establish those relationships that'll help you going forward. Audience, thank you for joining us once again. And please be sure to join us for the next edition of Building Better Businesses. Thanks and have a good day. Thanks, Ivan. Thank you.
1: Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.